Hey everybody, welcome to Revolutionary Relationships, a podcast here to support you in your emotional, your relational, and your spiritual evolution. Yes, and if you don't know, we are your hosts, Kara and Caleb, and we are so glad that you are here. This is gonna be the best day ever. This is gonna be the best day ever. Wake up. Do you, do you... <laughs> Do you? Do I what? Love me every day. More and more. Well, that's good because we are married, so. <laughs> oh, is that why? Is that only? Is that the only reason why? Well, I just, I just feel like if you didn't love me more and more every day, it'd be kind of depressing. Like, I kind of want to be climbing the mountain up together, uh, you know? It's going to take some intentionality. Yeah, to grow in love. To grow in love. I feel like we're pretty intentional about growing in love. Yeah, but we'll be as intentional 30 years from now with... Kid running around. Well, she won't be a kid for 30 years. (laughs) But you get what I'm saying. As life has happened. Yes. I mean, I hope. I hope so. I feel like the beauty, uh, this is, this sounds like we're tooting our own horn, but I was going to (laughs) say the beauty of us is that we're both intentional people. We're both very intentional about movement and growth and evolution. So I feel like, um, yeah. Yeah, I think we are committed to our own personal growth, like our personal evolution. Like yeah. and so I think as we are committed to our own self love, our own self work, and so on and so forth, mm-hmm. um, the intentional the intentionality in with one another. Not one another is expansive. Is ex- it's it's possible. Yeah. Like it'll be there. So definitely. But who <laughs> who knows these who things? knows to talk about 30 years from now i think all my life i've been learning how to be more present so oh my gosh i'm like freaking out about 30 days from now i know how are we in november we're in november how is it basically it's turkey christmas month. no it's literally christmas no it's not honey it's thanksgiving oh my god i do love thanksgiving it's actually my favorite okay. holiday we just got back from tejas tejas your which homeland was a beautiful trip, actually. It really was. It was actually really fun for me to get back into the kitchen for a second. Yeah, but I think you had some also some breakthrough and some insight mm. of understanding the the marriage yeah. of these two roles yeah, that yeah. you've had, right? Yeah, because I was a chef for eight years, and then I started my coaching business, and they have felt very separate. Yeah. But yeah, I feel like this trip, I saw the integration of the two. Yeah, you saw the, the possibility of how we can... Not just make nourishing food that helps the people who you are serving mm-hmm. connect to their bodies, connect to their lives mm-hmm. through food, mm-hmm. because food is such a great tool to be present, mm-hmm. right? Um, and actually, and just the taste and the smells, it just makes life. And to love yourself well. Right. It's the greatest tool. But then also the the facilitation of conversations mm-hmm. uh, that happened around the table mm-hmm. with the food. It was mm-hmm. a really beautiful moment. Um, and just to give you more context, one of our good friends, Allison, she owns a, a tech company um, in California and Los Angeles, and she did an offsite. Yeah, for her team. For her team, and uh, Kara had the chance to go into it was it was beautiful. It was a three thousand acre ranch, literally in the middle of nowhere, Texas. <laughs> nowhere. We had to cancel all of our calls because there's week no Wi Fi because there was very bad Wi Fi. But this beautiful home on this beautiful property. Um, how tall were those ceilings, you think? Oh, my gosh. I don't have a gauge. Like I'm a bad... 60 feet. 60, probably. <laughs> they yeah. were massive. The great room, like the living room was so it massive. Was so stunning. I felt like we were on the set of Yellowstone. Yeah. But it was so f- beautiful because I, like, 
Oh, nothing compares to waking up at 5.30, 5 5.45, 6 a.m. Mm. And like just being alone. And mm-hmm. for whatever reason, being alone in that house, it was special. It was a sacred experience for me as well. Yeah. Um, but... Yeah, you got some really good. And good also, we went back to Austin after we got done. We spent uh, we spent the day in Austin, and I was like, Austin's badass. Austin's amazing. It's cool. Yeah, Austin's so cool. What a different energy I feel like in Austin than in Nashville. Yeah, definitely. I love that too. Like, I I feel like that's something that I love noticing is going to different places and feeling the energy of the city. Yeah. And Austin, I feel like was an energy that we align with. <laughs> we were like, oh <laughs> yes, here is life. Yeah. But it feels good to be back home and it feels good to be having this conversation. You know what I did today? What? I took a birthing center orientation. Oh, yes. So I took a class that will basically allow me to have this baby in the birthing center. And man, birth is (laughs) wild. We need to sit down and actually map out a whole nother episode on this podcast with all of the changes that you've been communicating oh with me. Oh my gosh. Just like, <laughs> just, I, I've, I watch you from afar and I have so much compassion and so much grace as you are. For you, my tears. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it, you really are living in liminal space. Mm. Like you're in this in-between season. I mean, mm. that's the beautiful, the metaphor of birth mm-hmm. is like you conceive this child, you're holding this child and then you birth this child. And yeah. it's obviously a metaphor to life. Yeah. Um, but watching it happen in front of me in real time, uh, it's been beautiful. It's been magical. It's been sacred. Uh, and I, it's also just produced more um, empathy and compassion for you as mm. you hold this tension because you are holding it so well. Uh, but I think we should dedicate an entire conversation Episode. absolutely, uh, to all of the changes, I guess, both happening in our lives. Like, I'm not pregnant. Sometimes my stomach looks like I'm pregnant. <laughs> but <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I'm obviously not birthing a child in a few months, but I am birthing something. Mm. Like, life is changing for both of us. Yeah, I, I think we absolutely need to do that. I think, too, what you just said, we we often hear birth compared to as an analogy for life, like when we're birthing a new business or we're birthing a new, et cetera. But I think one thing I've started to realize in this pregnancy is the birth is not just the birth. It's the full nine months of holding this thing and the amount of emotion, shifting, desire, changes, everything. And grief. Grief. Yeah. Losing an identity of, of, Losing a lot of identities. Well, cho- I, in choosing having a kid, you've had to not choose other things. Yeah, I said to you last night, I feel like parts of me are dying. And yeah. that's so beautiful. And I think because we love the the death to life reality Metaphor. of our existence, you and I can appreciate that. But it's still very painful. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I'm all about talking about it. Honestly, I cannot imagine. God bless all of you. I, I, I guess you learn, but mm. I cannot imagine having this experience five six seven eight years ago yeah i think that um i think that god was like oh don't, get, <laughs> don't, don't give that to them yet they can't handle it <laughs> because i have friends that had kids five years ago and they're rock stars and doing such yeah. an amazing job there, i would for I our honestly own stories knowing who i was several years ago i can yeah. look back at this and i can i've done so much forgiveness work forgiveness towards myself but Oh my God, I would have been the worst spouse, mm. the worst partner um, ever. 
because like I couldn't hold both these like I couldn't hold the tension of my life and trying to strive and hustle and make something of myself and mm. and and to do something you know significant in the world all of these things that controlled my existence and also hold your experience simultaneously I would have mm. nope yeah not happening yeah um but yeah it's so I it was is this is Steve Jobs who in his commencement speech at I think Stanford talks about how like you know just taking the time to look back and connect the dots mm-hmm. to see how this moment led to this Absolutely. moment how that and to here and there and so on and so forth mm-hmm. and i just look back and i connect the dots to my life and it's it's so beautiful and it's so profound for me because it's like there's just so many so many things come to the surface mm. like i see so many things as i connect the dots like mm-hmm. it all makes sense now yeah which in looking back when you connect the dots and you see that it all belongs that i've been on this journey and that through this all i can look at my life being held through this entire journey even when i felt like i had no foundation i had no solid grounding um but i think the beautiful thing about connecting the dots is it creates in me this profound hope Mm, mm -hmm. knowing that that's what my life looked like. Mm -hmm. Um, And in the times when I thought it was all falling apart and it was just all coming crashing down and it was um, in a, in a way, but I was sustained through it all. I was held through it all. Yeah. And it's created this hope in my heart that, that transcends beyond wishful thinking yeah. Or transcends beyond mental certitudes. It transcends beyond something that only this life experience can have offered me. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like when you know that your life is held. Yeah. You can't not be, you can't help but to be hopeful. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I think what you're saying too is this idea that when, when we take the time to map our story and connect the dots, mm-hmm. what we see is the through line even through the pain, even through the grief, even through the hard things, we see the through line. And if we can recognize that through line, then we start to recognize that it has to, that has to translate for going forward yeah, as well. Totally. That I feel like, uh, there's a Hebrew word, um, or the Hebrew word for faith, uh, is loosely translated as walking backwards. And I heard this in a sermon once years ago, but it's this idea that we walk. A sermon, huh? Yeah, right. <laughs> I haven't had one of those in a while. But it's this idea that we're walking uh, backwards into life because we're looking at the faithfulness of God that has already happened, or we're looking at the faithfulness of life that has already happened. So and so, therefore, we can walk backwards knowing that whatever is in front of us yeah. will also, that's a good word, in alignment, be faith or in alignment, be, um, be hopeful. Yeah, that's a good word. Yeah. Whew, okay, um, today's <laughs> podcast, Sterna, 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 Sterna. Yeah, I want to say Sterna because too. of my Midwest accent, but it's Sterna. Yeah, Suisa. Suisa. She's amazing. She is brilliant. I felt like I got a, <laughs> a parenting coaching lesson. We while did. We were That's what she her. is. She is a parenting coach. She's a mother of four. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you follow me on Instagram, there's no way you have not heard of her mm-hmm. because I feel like I am putting her in my stories every single day. You know what I love? And about, rightfully so. You know what I love about Sarah too is even if you aren't a parent, her words yeah. are so profound for not only parenting, but inner child work. Yeah, that's what I it d- is. Yeah, I don't even feel like she's intentional about doing that, yeah. but her 
like the way she's talked about parenting has helped me go back into my own story and reparent a version of myself that needed tenderness or compassion. And yeah, she's, she's really, really yeah, all of her work. Great. She really is, is she's helping you parent through emotional connection, mm-hmm. which starts with first and foremost, having that emotional connection with yourself. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes her work for me so profound. Mm-hmm. Um, it starts with you as the adult, as the individual, as the parent, um, and it's from this connection that yeah. all other, everything else stems from this connection. Yeah. How many of us, like how many of us grew up with parents who that wasn't their priority? The connection wasn't yeah. the priority. And it's beautiful because it's like, you can look back and like, I can honestly say that as damaging as it was at times, they did the best they can. Absolutely. Absolutely. They, they had, did. they were doing the best they could with yeah. the tools that they were given. And now we get to take new tools and hopefully... Yeah. I think that's probably the, the challenge that sometimes with all this like trauma language and people mm. understanding their own trauma and so on and so forth. It's like, it's so easy to look back and be so angry yeah. at the people who raised us. But at the end of the day, I, for so many of us, like I can genuinely look back and know like my parents were out to harm me. Oh yeah. Like, they weren't out to get me. They yeah. weren't out to make my life a living hell. Mm. Yeah. Um, when we can see. They just didn't have the tools to like, I look at my mom and I'm just like. You were holding so much. You were juggling so much. Mm-hmm. The more I get to know you, the more insight I have into the thought processes that were running your life mm. um, as an adult and as a, a as a person and as a, a parent. It, it just makes sense. Mm-hmm. It makes sense. Of course, when your nervous system is so just mm. regulated, of course, it would make you parent this way. Yeah. You know, I think, I think, uh, to piggyback really quickly on what you said, I think the anger though is sometimes so important at the beginning to yeah. feel the anger. Like it, you got to feel it. Yeah. And then as you work through it, you start to develop that compassionate lens. Mm-hmm. There is a healthy anger. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. There's mm-hmm. a healthy anger. There's it's sacred. It's illuminating. Yeah. It's illuminating of what really matters to you. But you're going to learn so much on this podcast. We just, we're going to just jump right into it. Um, and yeah, if you are listening to this and you get something from this podcast, it would mean the absolute world to us if you just shared it with one person. Yeah. Um, if you don't want to share it with somebody, that's great. But if you are enjoying this, it would also mean the world to us if you just took the time to rate and review this podcast. That is so helpful uh, for, on the podcast helpful for app. us. Uh, yeah, that would mean so, so much. So yeah. Let's go ahead and jump into what Sterna has to say. Well, Sterna, uh, thank you so much for uh, for joining us today. I have to admit that this is probably a little selfishly motivated, just because we are expecting, <laughs> <laughs> and I've had enough experience. Uh, I think you did something recently with uh, Julie Lithcott Hames. Um, yes, and I've had conversations with her and other parenting coaches, and I just have had enough experiences with different parenting coaches or authors in this space to realize that I have a lot of work (laughs) that needs to be done. And I don't say that in a degrading way, but I think my main intention is I want to parent differently than the way that I was parented. Mm. Um, Because I came across your content not too long ago and I was like, oh my God, it it just really uh, clicked with me, registered with me. Uh, So I just want to say thank you for taking the time. Of course. Thank you so much. I'm humbled to be sharing this conversation with uh, both of you. And you know what? Something that that came to my mind when you said, you know, we're going to become parents and 
I realized that I really want to grow. And I realized that when I had, when I was pregnant with my first, everyone was asking me, aren't you excited to meet your baby? Mm. And of course, right. You were also curious about what my child would look like and what she'd be like. And, you know, we were so curious to get to know her and little did I know that at that moment, when I gave birth, I, I literally like, yes, I met my child, but I actually started to face my own self. It was like, as if like I was beginning to meet my own self Mm. in like the most deepest ways that nothing else in life could have brought me to, to really face those parts of me within me, you know? So we're so like eager to meet that baby and we don't realize like, it's also going to bring us to meet our own self. Yeah. I love that. We were, um, we were talking with a friend the other day and she referenced something similar. She said, you know, in parenting, what happens is you relive every, every moment of your own childhood as they play out their childhood. And just thinking about this baby coming into the world and then what you're saying, having to, having to really face ourselves and relive all of these experiences that we went through, whether great or terrible or whatever they are and having to almost reface them. Yeah. And I feel like the way, you know, pregnancy and then birth and having an infant I feel like it slowly, like gradually, thankfully brings us towards that. You know, it's mm. not like, boom, I have a child and I have so many things to face. It's like very gradual. Like, for example, an infant, you know, will bring us to have a connection with our baby. Mm. And then where it gets begins to get challenging is like when that baby begins to be more independent. Right. Mm. So in the toddler years where they want to run off or when they begin to say no to us. And then slowly it builds up, right? So it's very gradual. And if we really are open to learning through our child, we they really bring us on that journey in mm. in, in the best ways for us, you know? Yeah. I, that's the big question. If we are really open mm. <laughs> yeah. of, of learning this through our child, uh, that's a really big question. I'm curious. You're the mother of four, correct? Yeah. What's changed the most And maybe your approach to parenting or your parenting style from your first to your fourth. So much has changed. Um, You know, before becoming a a parent, very much like both of you, I was reading a lot of books. I actually went to therapy because I wanted to make sure that I wouldn't repeat, you know, the way that I was parented. And I, I really, I took off, like I literally quit my job. I quit everything in my life and I just focused that entire 10 months of pregnancy focusing on like just growing and, you know, being the best for my child. Wow. And honestly, <laughs> it's nothing like reality. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I then had my child and that I didn't realize I thought I was conscious, right? I yeah. thought I was doing everything okay. And what hit me hard was the moment I had a second child. And they started to interact. And I saw my eldest would talk to my her her brother. And I was like, oh my gosh, like that's really not okay. Why is she mm. doing that to him? And I was like, what's going on here? And I was like, oh my God. And I do that to her in other <laughs> ways. And kids magnify whatever mm. we do. Yeah. So I was doing it in very subtle ways. And she was, you know, doing that constantly. And it really hit me hard when I realized, wow, like. You, we can do all of these things before. And then when it's hands-on, mm. it's really different. Like our emotions get in the way, our exhaustion gets in the way, 
there's so many things and I'm such a different mother. Every single one of my kids really have been parented by a different mother. <laughs> and now my eldest, yeah, my eldest is turning 10 this weekend wow. Wow. and she's with a different mother than I was different, you know, it's so easy for our childhood to creep, creep in, creep into our parenting style. It's just, it, we constantly need to check in with ourselves. Yeah. And the good thing about that is that our kids are going to show it to us. Mm. So it's like we said in the beginning, only if we're open to it, our child's going to share that with us. You see my child, the way she was communicating. And I was like, how could she do that? Right. And then I was like, wait, I have to look inwards. Mm. Like maybe I'm doing something here. I'm, I'm part of this relationship too. So if we're open to looking inwards, our kids are going to guide us. Yeah. And that I find is the most beautiful thing because they will show us the way you see. Yeah, yeah. That's so beautiful. I feel like, um, in so many ways we, we talk about this idea of relationship being a mirror for healing, right? So being in a conscious partnership, there's so much space to heal, but you're doing it with an evolved adult who also hopefully is on, on a trajectory yeah. and on a, on a wavelength of wanting to heal also. And I feel like with children, what you're describing is there's this mirror that we don't really have any control over. It's just, it's just a natural mirror being held up to us. I'm curious, um, as someone who is pregnant and as someone who is reading the books and wanting to, wanting to pre prepare as best as I can, what do you think, um, what do you think is good preparation for someone who, who wants to have a kid or is pregnant or is thinking about wanting to become a mindful, emotionally conscious and aware parent? You know, you know what I, I, um, if I, looking back, if I can change one thing is instead of focusing so much on what to do with my child, I would have focused more on the relationship I have with myself. Mm, that's good. At the time, I didn't realize that the relationship I had with my own self mm -hmm. was disconnected. Had, you know, I, 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 I was in a, lots of patterns I was doing. So if I had to go back is put away all those parenting books. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Look in yourself. What's going on in your life? What changes do you need to create? what are your triggers, right? Mm. Like more self-healing rather than being so focused. What am I going to do with my child? What should I do with them? And how am I going to manage this and how to go about that? Because when we have a connection, a, a, a relationship with our own self, that's healthy, mm. we can give that to our child and it doesn't go on to them. You know? Absolutely. You're speaking my love language right there. I was reading, <laughs> uh, or you were reading when we were in, uh, visiting your family in mm. Hall in Michigan. Um, and whoever the author of that book was, was talking about when she would go on and do these uh, seminars on parenting, mm. um, the audience members, and it was usually in high performing schools mm -hmm. um, or more affluent uh, communities. And the audience members would always just want to know, you know, what do I have to do to get my child into Harvard? What do I've got to do to get my child to get those perfect SATs and ACTs? Like, how do I uh, put my child in the best position to really succeed in life? And her answer his was, answer. or his answer, it was, it was okay, yeah. his answer, yes, his <laughs> answer was, um, it was always, it was, if you want your child to succeed, if you want your kid to get into Harvard, like go home and love your spouse well, mm -hmm. love your partner well, love your partner well, mm -hmm. like go home and love your partner well, what they're going to learn through that experience of them being shown what a loving, committed relationship looks like is in fact the very thing that will help your child succeed. 
Yeah, because it actually directly impacts mm-hmm. the growth of our child's brain. Yes. The more the loving relation, the loving environments our child has, the more nurturing they have, the more they feel connected, yeah. the more their brain feels relaxed yeah. and can actually develop in a healthy way. So it's directly connected. Yeah. And you can probably speak to this too, Sterna, but he, he was describing kind of what you just said. The central nervous system is forming so... So rapidly in those first few months and specifically in that first year. And when children come into the world, they know to look for love and they know to look for safety. And so in an environment, if we're not cultivating love and safety, they can intuit that really strongly. And then their central nervous system develops differently um, based on, based on that experience. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, is it, it, does that, is that accurate with what, with what you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That is so accurate. And you know what? In society, especially to mothers, I feel like there's this um, such a big hype around what are the things our child needs, right? So Mm. they need this and they need that. And nobody tells us, right? They actually really need love, right? Hold them skin to skin. Those are really important things. Like it's really important. Um, And nobody tells us like that actually the first three years, are foundational Mm -hmm. for their entire life. Mm -hmm. Those first three years, the love and connection. Many times society makes us feel like, oh, a baby will forget. And, oh, it doesn't matter. Don't worry. What what will they know? (laughs) And it's so wrong. This is the most important time. You know, the the three first foundational years. And then it goes to seven years because it's the subconscious mind that's created. And then and then basically you can always, there's always room for growth and change for sure. But those are foundational years. Yeah. I, I'll, I'll probably mess this up, but Richard Rohr, he is a, a spiritual teacher who has played just a profound impact on my life, his works and his books. Um, and in one of his books, he talks about how scientists um, call the first thing that a baby is aware of, it's not uh, felt with the senses, it's called a kinesthetic knowing. So the first thing that they experience in their body is a kinesthetic knowing that they're being held. Mm. So they can't like identify it, but it's being informed in them, like this deep inner knowing that they're being held. And how much of that, and when, when he goes on to talk about what we are longing for in our lives is this deep experience that our lives like we're reconnecting that our lives are actually being held. Like there is something outside of our ability. I know I'm kind of talking a little spiritual here, but there's something outside of our ability to hold our lives together that is actually holding our lives together. And I just find that it's so beautiful mm-hmm. that that is the first experience that we actually have as a child. And it's that safety. Like when we know that me as an adult, I've tasted what it feels like that my life is being held by something outside of my ability to hold it together. And the freedom on the other side of that, which really makes me just understand even in a deeper way and in a more profound way of understanding that how important that safety is as an infant, as a child, that we are continually cultivating that safety within us and also giving that experience to the young ones in our lives. Yeah, that's so beautiful. Thanks for sharing that. It's really, really nice. And yeah, and it's so important. There's actually like insane studies on this where babies that weren't held at birth, you know, back in the day, I think it was the 1900s, they were worried about bacteria and infections. And so if a baby gave birth, you know, prematurely, 
the child wasn't being held yeah. and they were afraid the child would get sick. And these babies weren't, they weren't living because they weren't being held. It's real need for survival, yeah. you know, to, yeah. to, for an infant to be held in, in our arms. Yeah. That's beautiful. Absolutely. What would you say is, and for I, we probably should have started here, <laughs> uh, for the people that are listening and not actually familiar with your work, how would you describe or how would you communicate um, your messaging or the work that you do? I know that a big part of it is uh, parenting through emotional connection. Could you just elaborate on that a little bit more? Mm. Yeah. So emo- parenting through emotional connection means I'm dedicated as a parent to put our relationship above anything else. Mm. So that can be really challenging sometimes, right? It means that um, if an adult wants to, even a baby, right? We'll talk about babies because you guys are having a baby. If an adult wants to hold my baby and I see that my baby is moving towards me or like, you know, they don't seem too comfortable going to this person. That means I'm going to put my relationship above everything else. So even if this person, the adult, is very dear to my heart and I feel worried, like, maybe she's going to take a bat if I say, you know, I'm going to take my baby right now. They don't seem too comfortable here, <laughs> you know? So basically, the relationship with my child is my priority. Mm-hmm. And that could mean sometimes, you know, maybe upsetting some adults around that maybe don't understand that or feel insulted or, you know, so prioritizing that. Every yeah. time we, can, we have to ask ourselves, is this going to bring connection or mm. disconnection mm-hmm. with my child, right? And when we ask ourselves that question, moving from like the mainstream way of parenting, moments of disconnection in mainstream parenting. So let's say something like a parent punishes a child for having done something. When we parent through emotional connection, it actually turns into a connecting moment because we realize Mm -hmm. my child's doing their best and I want to show them I'm always here for them. Mm. So, you know, we, we show our child, it's okay. We're going to get through this together. I know you're having a hard time. I know this is challenging for you. We're going to figure this out together. Mm. So it's all about connection. Ah. Be checking in with ourselves. Is this going to bring disconnection or connection? I love that. I think you would be proud of me because I think I actually, Oh, please go ahead. Yeah, sorry. One other thing is not only the relationship we have with our child, we also value the relationship our child has with themselves. Mm-hmm. That's also very important. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, I was going to say, we were uh, at a friend's house who has, um, uh, how old is Jack? Uh, n- um, not, uh, I don't want to say their name. Uh, <laughs> we were at a friend's house who has a, a young one and then probably like another one that's six or seven or maybe a little bit younger. Mm-hmm. Um, a toddler and then someone that's like probably like five or six and we were at their house and we were leaving and the mother was like give Caleb a hug goodbye Mm. and I could sense that he was scared like Mm -hmm. he didn't want to give me a hug Mm -hmm. and she was like just go give him a hug give him a hug give him a hug I'm really pressuring him to do it and everything in me I want to be like no it's okay I did do that yeah I did say that it's like it's totally okay you don't have to give me a hug I sometimes don't like to give hugs to people either Mm -hmm. um but I think I I think I learned that from you (laughs) of reading one of your Instagram posts where I can see as a parent especially if my parenting was more about how other parents viewed me Right. And how important it would be in that moment that my kid really listens to me and follows through with what I'm saying, despite how they might be experiencing it. Right. I could put their experience and my connection with them secondary so easily 
if I'm so fixated on being this parent that everyone thinks I am or trying to live up to these expectations that I think people have of me as a parent. But I remember walking away from that. And I think I actually talked to you yeah. about it. Yeah. Uh, but I was like, I learned this from Sterna. <laughs> <laughs> but you see what you mentioned there is such a huge moment because what's happening for the parents is I need to look good. Yeah. I need mm. to look good to Caleb. I need to get validation that my child is polite and my child is kind and loving and welcoming or, you know, so when we work on the relationship with our own self, we're okay. We don't need our friend to right. come and feel yeah. like we need validation that we're a good parent and that our child is good. We, we trust in our goodness and we know that our child has also goodness inside of them and it's okay for them. Like you said, you know, it's okay if you don't want to give me a hug. What was the child's reaction when you said that? Did they feel like relieved? Um, I think he just kind of said, okay, like, thank you. Mm-hmm. Kind of like, was like, <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. But I do imagine that it's such a gray area, though, especially as you start building a more of an emotional connection with your child and you realize that, I don't know, I, I guess this is kind of hard for me to explain, but like, where is the line where I'm helping my child maybe lean into what I do know is like a deep fear that they're going to have to work through versus body autonomy or versus, you know, this is what I don't want. And I'm very aware that this is what my child doesn't want. And I'm going to support that even though I'm asked, or even though like there's an, yeah, even that, that's it, I guess. I'm not really explaining myself well. I'm just saying it's like a really great area versus like helping my child maybe lean into discomfort. Um, And this is probably me as a, a, a very, recovering performance driven person, um, like leaning into discomfort versus, um, no, like this is your answer. And I support that fully. Yeah. So sometimes, sometimes we, for example, um, my child, um, has a lot of fears of going down a slide. Okay. okay? So we can, I can validate her emotions and say, whew, going down the slide is really, really scary for you. You are really feeling afraid right now. Um, you know, you're worried about what's going to happen when you come down, all of these things, right? So I'm going to discuss the emotions that my child's going to experience. Mm. And also I can help them by saying things like we can do things that we're afraid of. Mm. You see, we can do things. So like, for example, this child, right. That felt uncomfortable giving you a hug. So what I'm trying to understand is basically you're saying, what about moments I want my child to work through their discomfort? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's also like in regards to their own body, giving somebody a hug or, you know, things like that. That's more like, I need to trust how I feel, right? The foundational years of a child, they first need to trust how they feel. So good. So, you know, so that's the first foundational thing when they're very young, it's all about not pushing our child, right? You don't want this. That's okay. I want you to build first this relationship with yourself and trust your own intuition, trust Mm -hmm. how you feel. Mm -hmm. And then as they grow older, we can show them more that sometimes we can face hard things. We can face our fears, right? And sometimes our kids are going to do things and grad- and then we'll make them notice it, right? Like, wow, you climbed that up. You felt so afraid on bottom yeah. and look how high you are already, right? Mm-hmm. You're able to do something that feels really frightening to you. But when kids are very young, I would mainly focus on just building their own trust with their own self. Man. Yeah. Validate how they feel. Yeah. The checks in the mail, Sterna. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. I feel like one of the things that you talk about so much, I'm, I'm going to elaborate on, on where you just went, is this idea of giving 
kids permission to fully feel all of their emotions and to help them name them and identify them. And I know for me, I've shared on this podcast before, but I grew up in a house where there was a lot of language of don't be sad, don't be upset, don't be angry, don't be frustrated. Um, Because the positive emotions were the good ones. So we wanted to feel those. And then we wanted to avoid all the, all the negative uh, quotations, negative emotions. And then getting into adulthood, I found myself with the inability to really feel the expanse of my emotion. And what happened is that it, it, uh, cultivated in me a sense of, I can't trust myself. Mm -hmm. Right. So what happened when I didn't have permission to feel all of my feelings is that I didn't trust, I didn't trust these negative feelings. So how do we, um, in parenting start to give permission really to, to, to our kids to feel the full expanse of their feelings while also I think, I think my, my gray area is like, how do we also uh, teach them what emotions are appropriate in certain settings? So they're not just having, you know, fits in fits in, in public all the time or whatever it might be. Yeah. Well, I have to have some empathy because I always have big feelings, (laughs) (laughs) but yes, it's a good. Okay. So I, I don't know if I'm, you'll correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like maybe we're putting together here emotions and actions. Mm. You see, mm. emotions are always okay. Yes. What a child yes. is experiencing, Good. feeling is always okay. Mm. Sometimes the reaction, the action of what they're doing might need some guidance. Okay. You see, so that's the message we want to give kids. We don't want to put everything together. Yeah. We don't want to say like, oh no, like this is not okay in public. Or this is not, first of all, when it comes to public and private, we want to also be careful with that because like what we mentioned before, right? This need of validation in public, it's different. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. We kind of want to be, you know, mindful about that. But in general, basically emotions are always okay. And then the action part is what we want to work with our child and give them the skills and guidance and everything they need to handle their emotions, wherever they might be, whether it's in public or in private. Does that answer your question? Yeah, that's really good. I, I like the distinction, the separation of the two, because yeah. I think by default, I, I do lump them together in, in my like brain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. That's so good. I just, I keep thinking about like the, the foundational years of helping your child trust what they feel, yeah. trust what they feel, trust what they feel and what we rob them of um, when we don't validate what they feel. And how then that creates this subconscious belief that what I feel is inherently wrong or is not allowed and how that can be internalized as this deep, deep embedded shame that there is something wrong with me as I feel these things that were never validated as a young person and the implications of that um, throughout the adult life. I know that for me, from my experiences, um, it was, I don't, I don't know if it was like specifically my parenting or how I was parented, um, as much as it was just growing up in the evangelical church, right? That all of the uncomfortable feelings that I would feel that were natural, they were never validated because inside of this church's message and just out of evangelical Christianity, like Jesus already took care of that for you, right? Like just trust Jesus, just trust Jesus, just have more faith, just pray more, just worship more. Or even uh, even kind of what Sterna said, that the, the, the action was attached to the sure, yeah. emotion. So if you had this one kind of feeling, then it was going to lead to this sinful behavior or whatever Absolutely. it might be. Yeah. And so it's just like, and then I can look at my own life now. The beautiful part about healing is you can look back and like really connect the dots and be just like, wow, like I had spent the majority, three quarters of my life not trusting myself. 
right? And the onslaught of mental health challenges mm. and relationship challenges and just personal challenges that I've experienced in my life as a direct result of not trusting myself. And this can all now, like we, it's just beautiful for me to recognize that I'm bringing a child into this world in this foundational years is really going to be geared to trusting what they feel mm -hmm. and how important that is. It's so important. And what many do. Yeah. They don't allow space for all of those big emotions to be released and expressed. A child can't move on. Right? Yeah. They're all, the, those emotions, they don't disappear from their body. So they just stay stuck in there and they're unprocessed and it can carry on and carry through. And then, you know, their sibling comes and does one thing and they're blowing up and you're like, what's wrong with this child? Well, they have emotions that they still need to express that wasn't allowed to be expressed this morning or whatever. Right. And so the more we allow all those emotions to express, the more our child can actually move forward mm. and actually move on to joyous and happy emotions because, you know, it's kind of like they have room within their body to move on. Yeah. What do you think are some of the hindrances or blocks for parents for really making space for that permission? To, uh, making to space in themselves. Yeah, probably. <laughs> but but yeah, yeah, what are some of those blocks? I also, yeah. I also think that many parents, because they had to their entire life make their parents happy yeah. and, and feel like it's their responsibility to make their parents happy, they can kind of now go into that with their child. My goal is to make my child happy. Now, if our goal as a parent is to make our child happy and my child is now unhappy, mm. then I failed as a mother. Yeah. You see, so now you feel terrible about yourself and you need your child to change. I need to control them so that I can feel good about being a parent yeah. and have a happy child. But if we take away that expectation, right? My role as a parent is not to make sure my child is happy. My role is to accept my child their authentic self. So whatever they're experiencing, then we can always be feeling like we're not a failure, right? This isn't like, it's okay. Whatever's going on now is okay. And we liberate ourselves from having that pressure of, of this is my role and responsibility. Absolutely. It's so good. What do you feel like is something that you're um, proud of in your own parenting in the past month or so? If, if we give it a time window, what's something you feel really proud about? Um, well, the other day, my daughter didn't want to do something that was really important. I don't want to give details because I try to be uh, mindful of their privacy Please. in their life. Absolutely. But basically I'll share my, my, um, what happened with me. I was getting so frustrated and I was like, um, that's it. Like we spoke about this. It's been a week already and you have to do this. And, and she was really like, I, I forgot the details, but I was like, I, I was fuming inside of me. And I spoke to her like really like, you know, like pressuring her. And then I was like, oh my gosh, like I need, I, I just need to, I, I'm going in my room. Like, <laughs> so I went to my room and I was like, I didn't know what to do. I was like, I'm so frustrated. Like I need her to do this, you know? And I, I like, she's 10 years old. Like there's no way I can, you know, she has to be the one to do it. And I said, you know what? I'm going to go back out and I'm going to give myself like another chance. And I went back out and I'm like, let me do this all over again. Right. So I told my daughter, like, can I start all over? Like, can we just start all over like the conversation? And she looked at me and she's like, no. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to start all over. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm giving myself permission to start all over. So she just looked at me and I just like started the conversation on a better note. Mm. 
And it just was wonderful. And we ended up like talking about it and she explained, and I was just like, so happy with myself and proud of myself for just like going back out, even though it was really hard and just starting over and realizing that, you know what, the way I approached her wasn't okay. It wasn't okay. And I just, you know, gave myself permission to start all over again. And you see things that are, can be so disconnecting, like that moment yeah. was such a disconnecting moment, yeah. became such a connecting one. Cause I, I, I showed her, right? Like, I know I messed up and I know that I needed to start all over. And I know I, and thank you for giving me that, that chance, right? That opportunity. Wow. And, and kids are so filled with unconditional love yeah. towards us. Like really, yeah. I was so grateful that my child was really willing to work with me again. It's just like, I'm, I'm taking that experience and then, I, I, I love my parents and I do believe that they did the best um, as they could, mm-hmm. that they knew how, yeah. right? Especially with when I have experiences with my grandparents now, I'm like, oh, <laughs> now this, I really understand what's going on here. Um, but I'm just thinking of my experience where, you know, my mom, love her dearly, it's me not criticizing her or speaking ill of her, would never have walked, she would have walked away only to come back and say, this is how it's done in my house. Mm-hmm. There's no exceptions. I don't care what you feel. Get this done or you're not eating tonight. <laughs> right? The, the mans would have been there and so, and so intensely where I would have no other choice or I might be sleeping with the chickens. <laughs> <laughs> and that was a very I'm big reality. Scared. So what you're modeling to your children and that experience and how you can take something so disconnected and with a little awareness and a little bit of probably humility as an adult of like, I'm still figuring this as well. And really what I heard was this, just a deep sense of compassion towards Mm -hmm. yourself, Mm -hmm. a deep sense of compassion towards yourself that gave you the permission to go and try again. Uh, It's just so beautiful. And I I can't imagine, or I can only imagine how much that impacted uh, your child in that moment. Yeah. Thank you. And you know, it's so common for parents to feel helpless. Yeah. Mm. I've been there. We feel so helpless on the moment. We're just like, what are we going to do? And then we resort to, you know, giving consequences, whatever yeah. they may be, right. Whether it's like, you're not going to eat dinner. The issue with that is let's say we were going to go through that route mm-hmm. is that first of all, when we start that way with very young children, the older they get, the consequences are even more mm. bigger and like absurd, right? Like I'm not going to give you dinner. Like when they're young, that might not be a consequence. Like you might say, I'm going to take away your little toy. Right. And then as they grow, it's like, well, then you can't live in my house if you're not going to do that. Right. And it's like, it, it gets magnified into these consequences that have to really matter to this bigger child. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then our child becomes independent and they don't care. Right. They'll move out of the house. They don't care about any of it. And at the end of the day, we lose out on the only thing that holds us with our child is our relationship. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They will leave our house one day and our relationship is the only thing that will hold us together. Mm-hmm. That's so beautiful. So we might as well work through it. And that's, that's the path. That's the, that's why I value so much, yeah. you know, building a relationship through emotional connection versus using all of these tactics and fear methods to getting our child to do things. It's so good. It takes more work. Obviously, it takes yeah. more work, but the the payoff, yeah, is just so tremendous, rewarding. so rewarding. I think too, it just it is, uh, it's such a beautiful example of how you're cultivating safety in inside of your kid. Like, I feel like that was um, that was one of the things I was reflecting on as you were sharing the story about your daughter is how safe she must feel with you to change her mind or make a mistake or 
uh, or have to restart the conversation because you're modeling it herself. Where I think um, I'm again reflecting on my own childhood and thinking back to those consequential moments where if if it didn't go a certain way, then it looked like this and how unsafe that really made me feel um, to, to fully be myself and fully show up yeah. as myself. So in so many ways, uh, th- through this type of parenting, you're really giving permission for your kid to show up fully as themselves, as who they actually are and discover that in a really safe way. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Um, and I just want to mention something when you said the time and energy, you know, this takes a lot of time and energy. Mm. The truth is that we can't run away from the time and energy we need to put in our kids. Yeah. Mm. And yeah. when they're young, when they're young, it's true that if you have a sticker chart for them, you'll get them doing everything. <laughs> if you're going to, you know, like little things and you have little robots, literally, you'll have little robots doing everything you want. And it's fast, it's quick. You don't need the time and energy to explain anything. You'll get a sticker, let's go do this. And then they become teenagers. Mm. And at that point, you've got to put in that time and energy you've never put in before. So true. And let me tell you, doing that with teenagers is a lot harder yeah. than <laughs> right? Like yeah. then building that up from, from, from when they're young. So yes, maybe when they're young, it seems like we're putting more time and energy. But when they grow up into adulthood and teenage years, it's going to be a beautiful relationship. Mm. It doesn't have to be what, you know, we believe like, oh, teenagers are, are so hard to parent. Mm. They're not hard to parent. They're hard to manipulate if you've been manipulating them ever since they were young. Yeah. You see, so it all depends on what we're creating with our child. Yeah. Yeah. It's in our hands. It's so good. Talk to me about the power of uh, saying I'm sorry as a parent or saying I messed up or I apologize for the way that I showed up in that moment. Um, yeah. What is the the power in that? Because I can tell you from my experience, um, not just from my parents, but from friends and their parents, uh, yeah. from what I see now, even inside of some of parents that are my friends, is this unwillingness to apologize or to say, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. and really double down on their behavior. Um, what is happening when we refuse to say, I'm sorry? And what are the, what are we opening ourselves up to when we do say, I'm sorry? So uh, it cut off, but I think I, I got it. Um, do I hear you? I can, yeah, I can re, I can ask that question again. So, if you, give it to. you know, it's, it's really funny because a lot of times we focus on, you know, it's, you have to tell your child, sorry, and you have, you know, own up your own actions. There's also, um, something to think about when doing that with your child. So picture me, you know, yelling at my child, treating them in ways I wish I didn't. And then I'm overcome with guilt Mm -hmm. and I feel terrible about what I did. I go see my child. I am so sorry. I'm so sorry. Are you okay? Do you you forgive me? Is it what I'm asking them right now is liberate me on how I feel. Just tell me you're okay. Yeah, this is good. Take care of me. Make sure I'm okay. So we need to make sure also not to get into that of like, I'm constantly saying sorry to my child. That's good. Because that can also be really unhealthy. You see? Mm -hmm. So what I like to do is, yes, from time to time, I do say sorry. I I try to make sure that it's not constant. 
we also have to be, we also have to make sure because um, we want to show our child that it's not about the word and it's more about the action, right? Like actions speak louder than words. Like I can tell my child, sorry, every single day for having done the same exact thing. And at the end of the day, it's like, okay, they said, sorry, but like, tomorrow it's happening again. Right. Mm. So what am I changing? What am I doing for myself here? How are we working through this together? Yeah. Like I said, our children can really help us on our healing journey. Mm. So I'll give you guys an example. For example, a parent yells at their child. Okay. And now they feel terrible. If a parent realizes while they're yelling, which sometimes happens, and then like our ego gets in the way and like, if we can move past all that and realize like, shoot, I'm like in the middle of yelling right now and I really don't want to, the best thing we can do is just pause and say, I don't like how I said that, right? Mm-hmm. I, I really don't like how I just spoke to you. You are not worthy of being spoken to this way. It has nothing to do with you. It has to do with me right now. And I'm going to start all over. I'm going to, I'm going to start all over. I'm going to do that all over again. So we can recap and, and share what we mm-hmm. want to communicate in a healthier way. Yeah. So our child sees a better way of expressing ourselves, and they see an actual action in, in place, mm. right? Like this is what I want to do. This is what I, I want to do this. Give myself a chance of doing this better. Now, if let's say we don't realize we're yelling on the moment and it happens to be only later, like we've calmed down and we're like, who I don't like the way I spoke to my child. What we want to do is, you know, saying sorry is wonderful, but there's a lot more um, connection that takes place when we go see our child and say something like, wow, I really raised my voice this morning. Mm-hmm. Eh? Didn't it feel good to you? Did it feel okay? What was it like for you? Mm. So kind of being open to hearing how terrible our child was feeling on that moment, Yeah. right? Being open to that because sometimes for parents, they, they don't want to hear that, right? And saying sorry can actually be easier. But here I'm telling my child, I want to understand how I yeah. made you feel. Mm-hmm. Even if it's so uncomfortable for me to hear, yeah, I actually want to know how that made you feel. Yeah. And now something that's so important to tell children all the time is that this has nothing to do with you. Mm-hmm. Because children are in an egocentric stage of development. Yeah where they believe everything has to do with them. Yeah. Do you want me to explain to you why it's like that? Yes. It's actually Please. really interesting. Yes. Okay. So I'll explain to you. Um, a child is born in an egocentric stage of development where they believe everything has to do with them because <laughs> if, let's say, I were to yell at my child, now what they believe is something is wrong with them, right? Mm-hmm. The child's going to be like, oh my gosh, something's wrong with me. My mother's yelling at me. Mm. If they weren't in an egocentric stage of development, they would say, what's wrong with my mother? Why is she yelling at me? Yeah. Now, that creates a child who feels unsafe because if something's wrong with their mother, yeah. maybe their need won't be met. I'm holding all of their needs. So I will never be the crazy one or the, the one that's bad. Yeah. They're the one that's, that's, you know, bad because they were yelled at and, and, and wrong, something is wrong with them versus them believing, Hey, maybe something's going on with my mother right now. Like, mm-hmm. you know, maybe something's going like on for her has nothing to do with me. So it's really important to just always tell children, this has nothing to do with you. I'm working through things within myself it has to do with me, how I was feeling, what I'm going through. And I'm going to work on that. And that has nothing to do with you. And I want you to know 
that next time I feel that way, I'm going to try to do, right. Yeah. We want to share with them. What tools are we going to do next time? Yeah. And also this is really powerful is it didn't feel good when I yelled at you. Right. So the child's going to say, no, what can you do when you don't feel okay with the way somebody's talking to you? So empower the child to say, I don't like to be screamed at. Can you talk to me? Yeah. And trust me, when your child tells you that, <laughs> like, oh my gosh, like I, I have to like, you know, start all over and I have to like take responsibility for how I'm talking to them right now. Mm. And through our relationship, through them setting that boundary with us, we know they'll be doing that with other individuals in yeah. their life also. Yeah. That's so good. I think I keep thinking about how, as you said it early on about like the need to apologize all the time and really what we're communicating is, I um, need to feel okay. I need to feel okay, but I need you to take care of how I feel. You're going to apologize to, or I'm going to apologize to you so that you release this forgiveness towards me so that I can feel better about myself and the codependency that creates mm -hmm. where I do know that, uh, for so many years I carried, the deep need to m make my mom and the deep responsibility to make my mom feel a certain way. Mm. Right. Like, and I do think that there was that experience. So I'm glad you said that because I can understand how saying I'm sorry can be interpreted to I'm saying I'm sorry just so that I feel better about myself. And then I'm placing this unconscious need or demand um, or responsibility on my child to that. They're going to grow up thinking that they're responsible for making me feel good. Mm -hmm. And then the codependency that creates in our dynamic of our relationship down the road. Yes. Yes. And that's why I will, I won't ever ask my child. Yeah. Do you forgive me? Yeah. Mm. That's so good. I actually need to work on forgiving myself. Yeah. Right. When I do that, I need to work on forgiving myself. Like my child is free to feel however they feel and they're not obligated to feel like they need to forgive me. And also like, it's not like a yes or no thing, right? Like forgiveness doesn't just happen yeah. like that. And I can't put my child on that spot. Right. So it's very much, I like to more talk about the experience of what happened, let mm. our child express how they're feeling with the ways that we acted, share with our child, the tools we're going to use next time. Right. So sometimes I can tell my child, you know what, next time I feel this way, I'm going to try to take really deep breaths. And I'm going to be mindful of the way I'm talking. You know, I'm working on myself just like you're working on yourself, right? Mm. We want to just normalize the fact that we're human and we sometimes mess up. And just because I'm your parent, it doesn't mean I'm perfect. Yeah. That's so good. So it's good. just a, a different approach. Um, this has been absolutely amazing. And I, I, I want to kind of wrap it up. And I deeply appreciate your time. But something that I am passionate on learning more about because I do think it's such a fine line. And I also know... Um, that as I've read more about it, I can already feel it in my bones that it's going to be my natural way of wanting to parent because it's the <laughs> way that I was parented and it is over parenting. Um, oh, yeah. right. Like I can honestly, I can go to hypothetical situations, uh, in my mind. Uh, we joke all the time. Caleb will be the over parent. And I, but I feel <laughs> it, uh, certain, I feel it like in a cellular level, like it's embedded in me. And I know that's the story of trauma. Um, but I also know that the onslaught of mental health challenges that I experienced as a young adult came from being over parented. 
And I was never taught how to walk through those uncomfortable seasons because I was always picked up and out of them. Um, so I never forged the intrinsic qualities uh, that needed that I needed to help me persevere and to build resilience and grit and to lean into uncomfortable feelings. Um, and so I guess my question is, and I know that you've done some work on this with uh, Julie, is like, what is that line between advocating for your child and then overparenting? Mm. And how do we walk it more consciously? Yeah, that's exactly the topic that I brought up with her, right? How do you advocate for your child and also not overparent? Now, just on a side note, I just want to tell you that you're going to, like I said, go on a journey with your baby, yeah. growing in toddlerhood. And before you get into those bigger teenage situations where you want to pick up your child, have um, the chance to practice with, you know, their little toy that broke and like not going to the store and getting another one for them, <laughs> you know, and just sitting with that and being like, oh, that broke, right? And now maybe you, Caleb, are like, I'll get you a new one, right? Like in I'll your head, you, you just four. want to get her a new one. <laughs> like, what's the problem? I'll just run to the store. It's fine, right? But really, it's not about those little things. It's yeah. about the bigger picture of the emotional experience our child's experiencing and what message are we showing them when you experience this? Is it okay? Mm. Is it okay to lose something in life? Is it okay to have something that's broken? Mm -hmm. It's a toy now, but it might be a friendship, right? A friend doesn't want to be friends with them later on. Now my dad can't fix that, right? Yeah. Like how am I going to manage without my friend? Yeah. So when I, so like I said, we're going to, your, your baby is going to take you on this journey with yeah. little things. So it'll be maybe a little easier for you while it's the little things. <laughs> and then as she Hopefully. grows, you'll already have like worked with so much practice of those, uh, yes. <laughs> you know, like smaller items and yeah. stuff. But that's your question. Um, so here's, here's the thing. Before we advocate for our child, because sometimes it's really hard to be like, um, for example, let's go back to the situation you, you said, okay? Like that child, the mother's like, go give a hug, you know, go yeah. give a hug. Now, let's say it wasn't the mother of the child. It was you, Caleb. You're like, come, give me a hug, give me a hug. And the mother is there and she's like, oh no, like I don't want my child to yes. be pressured to give a hug. Like, like, oh God, I don't know what to do. So now she has the option of like, you know, advocating for her child and saying, Look, Caleb, don't pressure my child. I don't want you to give them a hug. So that would be considered over-parenting, over trying to control everything. So advocating for your child would be like, let's say his name is Jay. Jay, Caleb is leaving. How would you like to say bye to him? Mm. Oh, you don't want to give him a hug? Oh, okay. So how would you, oh, you want to say bye? Okay, you can do that if you want to. Meanwhile, you're listening to that and you're like, oh, okay, he could say, but I guess, you know, they're, they're not pushing him to give me a hug. Yeah. So more like advocating for your child, but through your child as much as possible. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Instead of controlling the situation. Yeah. yeah, exactly. The thing is though, you can't really, it's when you have a baby, cause you guys are going to be having a baby. It's more hands-on and more like you're advocating for your baby. So you're going to be like, oh, it doesn't seem like she's really comfortable here right now. I'm mm -hmm. going to pick her up. So it's kind of like, this is how my child is feeling right now versus give me back my baby. 
Mm. I don't want anybody holding her. Right. Like, Oh, it seems like she is feeling this way right now. Yeah. So that's the way I see it. Yeah. Like coddling would be versus that. So let's say for example, an older child is in school, right. And their teacher does something to them or a friend does something to them. So coddling would be more like overparenting would be more like I'm calling that mother, the, the friend of yours uh, mother, and I'm going to talk to them or I'm calling your teacher. This is not okay. Versus talking to your child and saying, wow, what can we do about that? Mm. What, what do you think we should do about that? Right? So I'm open to speaking up for you if that's what you want, but I want to hear what you feel. Yeah. I want to hear what's going on for you. So good. And maybe the child is okay with not doing anything about it. Right. And just being like, you know what? It's fine. They don't have to be my friend or it's fine. If the teacher says that I'll just tell them not to, or do you want to talk me, you and the teacher together? Should we do, you know, a call and you can also be there with us. So more like, I'm here for you. If you need me, I can speak for you, but it comes from my child. My yeah. child's going to guide me into what they. Yeah. Yeah. That's so important me. because I was on the other end of it. I know I'm talking, oh, no, I'm talking so much um, uh, where it was, it was, she, I was deeply coddled and it was never about how I felt or what I wanted, or what I wanted to experience, or how I saw this playing out, it was always, oh, I'll just take care of, like, just completely bypass me, and then I'll just take care of this, I'll call the coach, mm. I'll talk to this parent, I'll confront this person for you, right, and even, like, I'll confront this kid that bullied you, which then just opens you up to this onslaught of humiliation, mm. um, yeah. which even deepens the problem, <laughs> and honestly, this is, like, um, a lot of these things, and I, in a lot of ways, uh, this really taught me that I can't trust myself, mm -hmm. and I don't know how to show up best for myself. And so, a lot of reparenting my inner child was really learning and teaching myself that I can trust myself, mm -hmm. and then I can show up for myself. I can fight these battles. I can lean into hard things. Um, and so, yeah, I, I do appreciate the that line. I, it's very clear on advocating and over parenting in the way that you just um, described. So thank you for that. Mm -hmm. My pleasure. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of the time, you know, when, for example, I was on the receiving end of a phone call of a mother telling me, your child doesn't want to be friends with my child anymore. Um, you know, my child is crying now. Oh, mm. And I remember like, it, I was a first time mom and I'm just like, oh, She's that's, it's just so strange. Like, how are we supposed to even force our child to be friends with each other? Yeah. And I'm like, look, I mean, I can share this with my child. And also, you know, your child might need to see that not everybody in life is going to like that. <laughs> right. Yeah. And like, they're not going to like everybody also. It's part of life, right? We take away these opportunities of the biggest life lessons when we do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I wonder how much of that parent was, it was more, that conversation was more about, them trying to find a solution mm. um, to their to maybe the their child's emotional experience that they're having just to either silence them or to quiet them down or to help them in that problem where they put the demand yeah. on you to fix the solution instead of their opportunity to lean into that and use that as a, a learning experience. Yeah. It's like, yeah, let's, let's just make this go away. Let's fix this right now. Let's make this go away. We can fix this totally. by making your daughter or your, your child be a friend of my child, the end. <laughs> and that kind of wraps up with what we said before, right? If you feel like your role as a mother to make my child happy yeah. when they're crying that their friend doesn't want to play with them, I yeah. failed as a mother. So yeah. I, I need to fix this. 
Yeah, absolutely. Serna, you are so packed with with wisdom wisdom and knowledge. Thank you for taking the time to share it with us. Tell us. Yeah, this is so insightful. I'm like, I'm, I'm already like, oh my gosh, I'm about to ask for your cell phone so I can just text you. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to be such a journey. I do. I I love what you said though. And, and I, I want to hone in on this. Like, I feel like what you said at the very beginning, this, this parenting journey really is about self-healing and the more we can lean into our relationship with ourself and really look at the ways we relate to ourselves it's such a beautiful it's just a beautiful way to to uh to approach parenting and and so thank you for sharing that with us tell us where we can find you where everyone can follow along and and uh get involved with your work yeah, so on Instagram, I'll share a lot of things. Um, so that's Sarah Suisa. And then I'm also creating a website. Um, it's been quite a while I'm working on it. I'm still working on it. And it's SarahNessWisa.com. You can sign up, put in your email, and you'll get notified as soon as I'll be up. That's awesome. awesome. You should, if, I'm sure you're considering this, but put together maybe like a a monthly parenting toolbox or mm. kit. That's like <laughs> yeah, a monthly subscription. Basically- yeah, I'm, I'm creating a community of parents yes. that want to grow together. And definitely it's going to be like a monthly. And the reason for that is because I realized on my parenting journey, it needs to be a constant discussion. It needs yeah. to be something that we're constantly looking back and saying, you know, what are the incidences I've had with my child? How could I have done better? And how can we move forward in a better way? Yeah, it's, really constant. it's not like a one-time thing, right? It's, yeah. yeah. I love that. And the last question I have for you and, maybe puts you on the spot a little bit, but if you had, um, only one book to gift the rest of your life, what would that book be? Ooh, that is putting me on the spot. (laughs) (laughs) One book. Yeah. For parents. No, for anything. For anything. There's just one book. It literally had me crying, laughing. Oh my God. It's crazy book. It's called, I don't know if you guys read it. It's called the boy who was raised like a dog. Oh, I've, I've heard, heard of this. I yeah. literally Don't just heard about that. Don't get scared off by the title. It's basically a, a psychiatrist that shares stories. Yes. And it is incredible. You see Boy, like the childhood. You, know, you see basically like sometimes like adult, like teenagers experiencing things. Mm. And then the story unfolds and how you see their childhood formed their their challenge mm. yeah and then you see so how the child is healed so wow good. i'm buying it today you read it you guys have to share with me how okay. it, how you love like if you like this book it is actually the most fascinating book i've ever read and i really highly recommend it to every single awesome. human there is so <laughs> much power of love and connection and like it's just so beautiful i mean there's also like it's 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 heart's uh, wrenching, like it'll make you also like cry to, to imagine these human beings going through such things. And then you'll see, like, you just rejoice seeing their, their healing. And it's mm. really through the power of love and connection. And it's a, it's a wonderful book. Awesome. Caleb's literally ordering it off. Thank you so much. And, uh, speaking for both of us, um, we just want to honor you and say thank you for the work that you're doing. Um, and I know that it didn't come without a cost. Uh, I know that developing a healthy relationship with yourself takes a lot of, uh, a lot of work. Yeah. And so we just see you and we honor you. And we just want to say thank you sincerely for the work that you're doing because it, it is, it is 100% making a difference. Yeah. Yeah. 
Thank you so much. Thank you. That's really kind of you. And I'm so humbled, like I said, to share this conversation with you guys. And I'm wishing you a healthy end of your pregnancy, a meaningful birth, Mm. and a wonderful journey with your child. Thank Thank you. Thank you. Take care.